Hello, and welcome to Cody and Corbin Have a Podcast, the show where two former roommates talk about the talented Mr. Ripley. Nikki Greenlee? It's Tom. Tom Ripley. Tom Ripley? We were at Princeton together. Did we know each other? Sorry, what is it? Ripley. How do you do? We'll just be for a little while. No, I like him. Marge, you like everybody. Marge, you like everybody. You uh, stay at Dickie's house, eat Dickie's food, wear his clothes. And his father picks up the tab. What did you actually do in New York? Telling lies, forging signatures, uh, impersonating practically anybody. What? I wish I could live Dickie's life for him. I know what I would do. Did I know you at Princeton, Tom? I don't think I did, did I? I always thought it'd be better to be a fake somebody than a real nobody. Why is it that when men play, they always play at killing each other? I feel like I've been handed a new life. I wouldn't have cared what anyone thought. Everybody should have one talent. What's yours? As always, I'm your host, Corbin's Vocal, and joining me, my co-host, his talents are forging signatures, telling lies, and impersonating practically anybody. It's Cody Webb. Cody, what's going on, my guy? I could do an impression of you right now, but I'll hold off. Um, I would call myself the talentless Mr. Webb. So I think uh, I relate pretty well. I'm doing great, man. Excited to be here. Yeah, should be a fun episode. We're talking about the talented Mr. Ripley. Let's jump right into the why of it all. Why me? Why did you pick me? Cody, I did throw a couple options at you. Yeah. I believe we had the Maze Runner. Yeah, a lot of of options. Talented Mr. Ripley. Uh, Bullet Train was one. Um. Percy Jackson and the Lightning Thief yeah. and End of Watch and the Creator right. were all were all options. Uh, you responded positively and negatively to to a few different ones. You thought Saltburn might be fun. I didn't really want to talk about it, but I wanted to talk <laughs> about this movie kind of in context of the larger conversation that's happening around Saltburn. I don't know if you actually saw uh, yesterday. It hit one million. Uh, logs or 1 million watches like 1 million people had watched it on letterbox which is a pretty big feat there's not a ton of movies that have necessarily hit that especially when you consider like new releases it's always a big milestone i don't think there's really any other 2023 movies that have hit 1 million so that movie has obviously become a huge phenomenon both in its theater release and then of course in its second life on streaming and this movie in a lot of ways is a it was a precursor, you know, Saltburn maybe is like a spiritual successor, a less successful version of it. So I wanted to take it back to uh, the 1990s and, and discuss some uh, some Matt Damon, Jude Law, Gwyneth Paltrow, talented Mr. Ripley. I think you're right. It's like the comparison between like those two movies, like they're pretty similar in their structure, I feel like in a sense. So maybe it's more of like an homage uh, to the talented Mr. Ripley, I think. But that is cool. I didn't see it. uh has been doing so well I, I feel like it's just the word of mouth of some of the craziness in that movie um, makes sense and obviously it's on on uh, amazon streaming now so it 
probably pretty easily accessible to a lot of people. But yeah, I would assume like, um, like I didn't know too much about the talents of Mr. Ripley um, before kind of we had talked about its similarities I was, before. I was so. going to ask you later what your what you thought <laughs> or like what you thought <laughs> before you watched, but we'll save it. <laughs> but yeah, I think like like you said, just like the connection between those films, it's like pretty topical. I feel like people who do like Saltburn would probably like this movie as well. So I think it's a fun choice. I have a, a quote from a, the Roger Ebert review from 1999, December 1999. Tom Ripley also seems to have feelings for Dickie Greenleaf, although narcissism and sexuality are so mixed up in his mind that Ripley almost seems to want to become Greenleaf so that he can love himself. Which I think is like thematically like really sums up a lot of what's going on with Matt Damon's character and what he's trying to achieve. And I think that is like the closest comparison to what they're trying to achieve in Saltburn. But in a lot of ways to me, uh, the reasons it doesn't work is because it tries to like play it up as like some uh, twist ending almost or like a, a topsy-turvy like thriller that that's trying to surprise you. And where this plays it very straightforward, you understand who Matt Damon is right off the, you know, the get-go. Yeah. I mean, I do agree. I think that is one of the things I don't love about Saltburn is, like I said, it's like, oh, it's it's supposed to be like kind of a surprise, I, I guess, at the end, which it's supposed it's to be surprised, but that's not. also like not supposed to. Yeah, right. Like yeah. it's not. There's surprise. there's so many breadcrumbs where you're like, yeah, I understand exactly what's happening. But I feel like in Saltburn, I do understand kind of Barry Keoghan's, you know, motives a little bit better. I think at times in, in this movie, which we'll get into, I don't know if I completely understand like Matt Damon's plans or, or his motives, which um confuses me a little bit but i'm sure we'll dive deep into it but yeah i think just like you said like plot wise and even thematically off that little spiel there i think like both of these movies kind of dip into the same uh you know ranch in a sense yeah two bathtub scenes in both movies uh i think they're representative of the kind of the ideas that these movies have about their filmmaking there whereas like the bathtub scene that is obviously in saltburn has been very you know talked about but like it exists for shock value more than anything it's not really about like story or emotion or like even really saying anything about like sexuality like it's really just there to be, like, get people to talk about it where it's like in this movie you have a scene like that where it's like actually feels um th like there's a lot of tension there that that's going on and like it it, <laughs> it it builds upon the story in a certain way and it's not just going out of its way to like kind of shock you and, and you, there are shocking things in this movie sure but not you know throwing sexuality in your face in a, in a dumb way yeah like, oh, i think honestly like that is the these are crazy that's the biggest thing that i feel like makes me think that it is an homage because like they're both bathroom scenes surrounding a bathtub i feel like too specifically it's like okay like that's a little bit too similar but yeah like you said i mean it's kind of just like a lot of um you know sexual tension i feel like with with both of the main characters and i think in saltburn yeah you're right i mean it's there for shock valley but it's also there because like you know, he's longing for Jacob Elordi and he'll never get him. So I feel like there's, you know, metaphorical, medical, metaphorical value there as well. But yeah, definitely eat the rich, Cody. <laughs> Do you remember? Do you remember? Tell me about this uh, first time watch experience that you just had. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So this is the first time uh, I've seen this movie. You have described this movie to me a few times as well. So I feel like it wasn't like um, a you long know, time suggested film. Yeah, it wasn't anything like, oh, you know, I, I don't know what's coming in a sense, but I had a good time with it. I believe I, oh yeah, I watched it on Paramount Plus. Showtime um, anytime, baby, on yeah. Paramount Plus. <laughs> Shout out to that Showtime add-on. 
because um, if not, uh, I'd probably have to rent it, which is no fun. But yeah, I had a good experience on Paramount Plus. Um, watched that nighttime as well. So I feel like the uh, Italian cinema cinematography really popped mm. off. So I feel like that was cool. But talk to me about your first time, man. I feel like uh, you've probably seen this movie a good deal, though. Yeah, I think I've seen it three or four. Maybe this is the fifth time. It's hard to say exactly. But obviously, we've talked about it on the past in the podcast. I had my movie wall, the hundred, you know, different screen grabs. This was a movie. The the boat scene of, of Jude Law and Matt Damon is uh, captured on that uh, collage that I had. For me, this kind of holds a special place in my heart because I don't remember exactly if it was 2018 or 19. But at some point when I was home over break from college, I watched this movie with my mom. And not even necessarily that I watched it with my mom, but like it was at a time when I was getting really into watching movies. Obviously, um, I'd kind of always liked them later high school. I started to go to the theater a lot more, but like really right before COVID and, and then when COVID hit, like I my film knowledge grew a ton. You know, I got to watch a lot more stuff. And this was an early movie of like, what's something that is kind of underseen or you know not everybody talks about and it was kind of like the first dipping of of my toe into you know a, a wider film world so it, it holds that place for me yeah that's cool it's like one of your first uh underrated uh you know self-found movies and it's I like that it's matt damon and Jude. like you know it's like <laughs> it's not even that crazy but it's to me it was at the time almost an underrated gem found by uh, corbino nothing new but that is cool. I feel like um, <laughs> this movie, it's a good one, too. I feel like it's like kick off sort of, like you said, like, you know, watching a ton of movies just because um, and we'll get into all this as well. But I feel like the directing is like really good and the cinematography is really cool and the acting is pretty good. So Absolutely. I feel like it's like it's a well-rounded flick and it's something you can like easily build off to like a lot of other subgenres. And it shows you that like you know, not all characters have to be good. Obviously that wasn't the, the first time I ever realized that, but it's like <laughs> beyond like a comic book villain, like what's it look like to have a villain lead your movie in a certain kind of way. And, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of choices, of, like you said, in the filmmaking, it opens up a wider world, which I definitely think is cool. Initial thoughts, Cody. Good morning, Vietnam. I wanted to ask you, like I already said, what did you know about the talented Mr. Ripley? I mean, not a ton, really. Just like I said, all of our prior conversations that it definitely had some similarities to Saltburn. So I assume, you know, uh, the, the similar story from that where, you know, a person's like infiltrating a group and obviously going to get kind of some sort of, you know, quantitative result because of that. So that was the majority of what I knew. I, I do, knew obviously. Okay. I, I, I do feel a little bit bad that maybe I made that comparison because then you're trying to like look for those things when you're watching it, and especially like, when it comes to like the the homoerotic undertones, I feel like that stuff becomes more obvious when you're watching it with like the salt burn lens than yeah. on just a first watch. You're like, oh wait a second, I think Matt Damon's <laughs> trying to trying to fuck everybody in this movie. Yes, I feel like that's pretty obvious though. I mean, him staring at Jude Law's ass um, for a remarkable amount of time. I think that probably gave it away. But yeah, I think there are similarities, which is cool though. I I, I don't mind that. And there's some stuff later on too that. I was pretty shocked by and kind of took me off balance. So this movie still kind of kept me on my toes. I didn't even know Gwyneth Paltrow was in it, if I'm being honest. I thought she was okay, but I feel like Damon in a leading role. Like I've seen a ton of his movies too. Um, Jude Law, I'm not you know a massive fan of, if I'm being honest. But Damon, I, I am definitely a fan of. And um, for something this early in his career, I I uh, 
was kind of surprised I haven't seen this in a sense. So it was one of them eventually I feel like I would have uh, come around to. But yeah, going in, I didn't really have too many preconceived notions other than, you know, it's a con man movie. I, I feel like that's, you know, pretty, pretty well known. And, you know, at least my head. Definitely. It's a, an Italian classic too cody you gotta gotta love that part about it there's a (laughs) i i love all the the scenery and the beaches and the clothes and uh just the vibes Uh, not enough food need to be more pasta but true there's a lot of jazz too i guess that's big in italy but (laughs) i mean the the scenery is is 100 a standout for me i think just the like on location shoot of this is is one of my favorite things about it so yeah setting wise we'll get into later um some other italian movies but i think uh this is definitely one of my favorites just from like the extreme setting and the extreme kind of cinematography even like when they're walking around like in the first hour like up and down those stairs i think it's really really beautiful and just a really co- cool place to shoot and i guess jumping in initial thoughts here too with our last episode prisoners uh, we were talking about pacing in the beginning it's kind of similar here too like the first five minutes you kind of have it's like a five to ten minute cut of just like it's kind of like the prologue i guess in a sense of like setting up the story I like that a lot. I like when a movie kind of just jumps straight into what the plot is going to be. It's like, oh, uh, we know the character. We know Ripley's, you know, kind of this con man who, you know, just did this whole uh, Princeton thing. So, yeah, obviously um, he's getting with Dickie's dad and and doing the whole jacket thing. And then we see, oh, he, you know, obviously he's never been to Princeton, but we're thrown straight into it. Like he's going to Europe to find Dickie. So I like that we kind of get into that right away, even though this is like a two and a half hour movie. I feel like the first hour is is actually really good um and i'll throw it over you but uh i think what you're probably going to say is the first hour is really good and then it starts to drag a little bit and i think that's definitely a gripe i have with the film i think pacing wise after that fact it starts to to fall apart a little bit and doesn't quite know where to to land and i do think it ends up in an interesting place and i, I love the final scene but it can be all over the place uh incredible cast i know you mentioned gwyneth paltrow even me like I pull this up and I'm like, oh yeah, Kate Blanchett's in this movie as like, you know, the fifth lead. (laughs) Um, You know, not, you know, she pops up in the first maybe uh, 20, 30 minutes of the movie and then doesn't show up again for an hour. And um, it's just top to bottom, a a lot of great working actors. Cody, how much do you know about like the, the source material that the, uh, the Ripley story comes from? I have no idea. Was it based off a book? Yeah. So something else that I think is cool about this is that, there's a whole Ripley series of novel novels really? that were written by Patricia Highsmith that follow this conman character Ripley That's around cool. on different adventures. The different books have been adapted like different times and, and under different titles. So like there's a 1960 something movie purple noon, which is a French movie. That's based on the same novel, the talented Mr. Ripley that this one is based on set, uh, which was written in 1955. Um, there's a 2002 fil- thriller starring John Malkovich called Ripley's Game, which is hmm. based on the third book in the Ripley series, uh, Ripley's Game from 1974. And uh, then there's a new uh, Netflix TV show that's going to be coming out with Andrew Scott, who is uh, the co-star of All the Strangers with um, Paul Mescal. Yeah. Uh, he's playing Tom Ripley in 1960s New York kind of it seems like it's doing this movie a little bit he's going to be in new york and then head to italy but then possibly it's going to adapt the other novels as well throughout its run so he's a character that has uh popped up a few times on screen um and i, I think it's cool that matt damon specifically played him 
and you look at the other guys like John Malkovich, Andrew Scott. It's it's a it's a weird assortment. It's an eclectic cast, but I like that. I didn't know it was based off a book series. So that's pretty cool too as well. I feel like um I'm I'm surprised a little bit. Maybe this didn't do like get a sequel. I'm guessing maybe the box office wasn't the greatest. But that's the cool thing about it too that I like is it's a period piece in a sense. Um even though I feel like looking at stills behind us, I feel like uh, it looks like a modern age movie, like Matt Damon with the glasses and and Jude Long one of the Paltrow. I don't know, but I do like the aesthetic of kind of, I guess the the movie as a whole. So I feel like translating it into multiple books would be something cool. But along with that, I mean, kind of bouncing off what you're saying too. Yeah, I think I think the first hour is great, just because like this trio I think works really really well together. I think Jude Law. Gwyneth Paltrow specifically have great chemistry and then Jude Law and Matt Damon specifically have great chemistry too. Um, the cross-pollination of Matt Damon and Gwyneth Paltrow. I don't know if they have the best chemistry. So when you cut out the middleman um, in the hour mark, uh, heavy spoiler alert here. If you haven't seen this movie, hit me up for my Paramount Plus uh, account and you can go watch it. But obviously Matt Matt Damon takes out Jude Law here. I I, I would consider it pretty much the halfway point in the movie, even though obviously it's a little bit divvied out. One but hour. 20 uh, minutes in Cody. Yeah. So, I mean, I think like you said, after that, no, I'm sorry. It is. Sorry. I think it's an, an hour, hour into the movie. Yeah. He dies. There's an hour exactly. and 20 minutes left after that. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I like that scene too. I thought it was intense. And I think Matt Damon's kind of going through it of like realizing he's kind of in deep here and there's no turning back, which I like too. And I was shocked. I mean, like you said, coming in this movie, that's the two leaps. Like it's Matt Damon and Jude Law. And you're gonna kill this guy off halfway through the movie, so yeah. that got me on shock factor for sure. I, I was definitely surprised by that, which I do like. But like you're saying, I mean, I feel like the movie does slow down a good deal, and it could have used Jude Law for maybe another hour. So maybe if you had taken out Philip Seymour Hoffman at the hour mark, and then Jude Law still there for another hour, maybe it would have been executed a little bit better. I guess. Do you like that decision? Do you like obviously the shock factor is cool, but I guess from like the overall story, uh, do you think that's a good move? Yeah, I mean, it, it sucks to have Jude Law leave the movie when I think he is so fun with Matt Damon. But it's almost the thing of like, you don't want him to overstay his welcome. So I think it's good you to get him out now. He propels the story forward. He gets to kind of take on the persona of Dickie and that creates the best moments of the second half where it's kind of those hijinks of like, how is he going to wiggle his way out of these situations, you know, pretending to be both Tom Ripley and Dickie Greenleaf. Yeah, and I think that's that's exactly kind of what this movie is, too. So it makes sense, I think, but I don't love it just because obviously it's the con man movie of he's and like you said at the beginning, oh, he, he can act like anybody. You know, Matt Damon's the best actor in the world, I guess, according to this movie. <laughs> uh, I think the con man like movie is something that I usually like enjoy a good deal or I just dislike a lot. Like there's a lot of I feel like examples of like um you know focus or or now you see me that are just you know maybe not great just because they're too focused on the con man story but i think this one is kind of one of the middle tier ones for me of like i like it a lot just because it knows exactly what it's trying to do in a sense but maybe just like the the story could you know be a half hour shorter and i'd be a lot a lot happier but yeah i think for a con man movie this is about as well directed and uh, well acted as as it can get let's talk about those actors with imdb known for do i know you I mean, where do i know you from we'll start with matt damon tom ripley his four goodwill hunting the martian the departed and the talented mr ripley cody Ooh. <laughs> what do you think about that four? obviously uh damon we're huge fans of him he's uh 
acted in so many things. He's the king of the cameo. Does it does it hurt to not have a cameo on here? Should we should we have Interstellar? <laughs> <laughs> I think Interstellar would be a fun one to have. I mean, like you said, he he's been in so much stuff. I feel like um, it's hard to even argue a top four just because he's in so many good movies. The first three mentioned here, I have really no gripe about. I think Goodwill Hunting is it's probably uh, his most iconic maybe. The Departed is one of my favorites and he's amazing in that. And then The Martian too is kind of his uh you know more recent really really like respected I feel like um you know from the academy and everything. So those three are fine with, you know, personally speaking, I would probably swap this out uh for something else, but I'm not too mad about it. I mean, he's the star, he's doing kind of stuff that he normally doesn't do. Obviously going more towards the villain role when Obviously, he's the villain in, in The Departed as well, which is, a, again, kind of a turn of character for him, I feel like. But I don't hate it here, but I would definitely prefer other things. I, I wouldn't mind seeing Interstellar. I think that'd be funny just because it's IMDb. But do you think it should be in his top four here? I don't think Interstellar should actually be. Might take <laughs> probably like a Bourne movie just to yeah. be like, hey, you know, franchise Jason Bourne in, in three movies. Um, other, Also, Ocean's Eleven. Again, he's not, you know, he's like, third fourth lead of those movies but he's he's in three of them and it's what he's really well known for so i don't yeah. know i mean you can't you can't he... take out goodwill hunting or uh the departed or Mar- the martian really so it's fighting for the four spot yeah surprisingly i think imdb uh got it mostly right so it did well. um, but i i would probably swap out talented mr family personally yeah gwyneth paltrow cody her four yeah. shakespeare in love sliding doors Emma in Iron Man 3. Of course, Oscar nomination win for Shakespeare in Love. I guess you get her one uh, Pepper Potts performance is Iron Man 3. It, it makes sense, I guess, because she gets to put on a suit in that one. Like, I, I don't know. I guess I would. Well, I guess, but she doesn't even really use it. If you're going to be like, oh, when she's the biggest hero, I guess you can go Endgame. But she's like barely in that, I guess, to be fair. I feel like for me with this list, kind of the big miss well there's a couple actually but i feel like the bigger one is probably seven for me just because too like she is the iconic head in the box right <laughs> like, yeah like everybody oh, knows that right. line i feel like She's in a sense the box. yeah so i feel like that surprises me have you seen emma or or sliding doors no i haven't i'm not really i'm not too familiar with those 6.6 and 6.7 i mean they're i guess they're like both representative of who she was especially in the 90s yeah um it is weird that you have 96 98 98 and then 2013 and nothing really else in there um contagion is a thought i mean the royal tenenbaums and bombs i think she's actually she's pretty good in that too maybe they were just like this is peak gwyneth paltrow you know late 90s i mean obviously she won that oscar for uh, shakespeare in love so she's a pretty good actress um I think she's okay in this. We'll get into that a little bit more. But yeah, I think maybe she was just like maybe at her most popular peak in the late 90s. So maybe that's their thinking. But I would definitely replace those two for a couple more of my favorites for sure. I agree with that. Jude Law Cody, his four. The Talented Mr. Ripley, Closer, The Grand Budapest Hotel, Sky Captain, and The World of Tomorrow. Yeah, we recently uh, been over this. looked at the speech too for Captain Marvel. Any new thoughts? <laughs> yeah, now that I've seen the talented Mr. Ripley, I think this is a great role for Jude Law. I think, you know, it's it's kind of almost him at his peak in a sense. Maybe his most like attractive, maybe his most gravitating role. So I really enjoyed him in this movie. So I have no qualms kind of this being his number one. 
yeah, like I said before, Grand Budapest Hotel, I think he's got a kind of small role there. And then Sky Captain, which we had talked about last time too. <laughs> Not sure exactly what that's doing on here, but um, I would probably replace Closer and Sky Captain with a couple of his other ones. Do you have any uh, new thoughts on this too? I really, sadly, since our last uh, talk, I have not done any more research. <laughs> I will say, Cody, he appeared. What if one episode put it on it's there? True. Um, which one was it? I think it was. Yeah, it was the uh, Nebula Blade Runner one. He um, Nebula broke him out of prison and then he turned on her, of course. But she knew it was coming or something. I don't yeah. know. What if Nova joined or what if Nebula joined the Nova Corps? Yeah, you could have really put any villain from the MCU in that role. I don't think it was necessarily uh, needed for Jude Law to return, but they were probably like, oh, we're running out of villains who uh, will come back and do voice work. And we know Jude's not doing anything. Jude, so yeah, Jude's free. Fantastic <laughs> Beasts fell through, so he's, he's <laughs> available. His big franchise uh, fell down in shambles. But uh, yeah, I honestly, like, give me a sequel to this movie. I think Jude Law-wise, like, bring him back from the dead. I think that would be amazing, and and I would watch that. Yeah, I'm done. And then, of course, our director Anthony Mangella, the talented Mr. Ripley, Cold Mountain, the English Patient, and truly, madly, deeply, I'm really actually not too familiar with a lot of his work. I have seen Cold Mountain uh, because we read the book, and then kind of watched the movie in my high school English class. It also stars Nicole Kidman. It's fine. I'm not a huge uh, Ming head. <laughs> is that what his Ming heads call themselves? Shout out to all the Ming heads out there. If you're part of that crew, uh, reach out because I, I definitely want to meet one of you guys. But I've not seen any of these other three, unfortunately. I just know the uh, English Patients because it is featured heavily in a Seinfeld episode, which mm. is pretty funny. Elaine doesn't like the English Patient and all of her friends love it. And uh, she gets really mad about it. But obviously, kind of, a, I feel like he's a fairly critically acclaimed director even all three of these ratings are all above, you know, seven. So I think, yeah, uh, he's a, he's a pretty good director. I just haven't seen probably too many of his stuff. Unfortunately. We'll, uh, we'll add it to the watch list caps, uh, upcoming movies. We'll, we'll get there. True. He's I only directed he... like 10 things. And, yeah. uh, so these four are representative uh, in the deleted scenes of cold mountain are one of those 10 along with the actual film of cold. Mountain. Oh, wow. Well, spend a lot of deleted scenes, but <laughs> seems like he's a little bit past his prime too. I mean, these movies all span from obviously 1990 to 2003. So. I mean, yeah, he hasn't done, he hasn't directed anything since 2008. He's probably retired. He died in 2008. So, oh damn. Well, damn. I wish I wish he got to make more stuff because, I mean, just based off this movie, I think I would definitely be interested in in some of his other things. I think, and just this is just from the Seinfeld episode too. But the English Patient, I think it's like really long and kind of boring. So maybe, maybe that's why, uh, you know, the second part of this movie is is kind of similar. I think maybe that's just his style or kind of his preference in a sense. So that's cool. I can't really hate against that. But all the Ming heads uh, reach out. I, I definitely want to hear uh, all the Ming love. Let's head on over to the good, the bad and the ugly. Let's start with the good as we do. I wanted to talk about this cast, Cody, and uh, yeah. a little little quick game for you. I already Ooh. told you, Gwyneth Paltrow, one nom, one win. Uh -huh. If you take Damon Paltrow, Philip Seymour Hoffman, Jude Law, Kate Blanchett, how many Oscar nominations do you have? How many wins do you have for Ooh. those five? This is very difficult because all of those Just are total. very good actors. Yeah, so Matt Damon, 
Um, like we said, I mean, Goodwill Hunting, The Martian. Or I guess I can cheat and kind of relook at the IMDb here. What was the other two? Uh, the Departed. I don't. Oh, he should have been not for that. Was he though? I don't know. I'll say three for him, kind of to be safe. And there's probably one I'm forgetting as well. I mean, the thing with like Philip Seymour Hoffman is he's such a freaking good actor. Uh, he's definitely known for like the master. I don't think he won for that though. Did Damon? I don't think Damon won for Goodwill Hunting either. So maybe zero wins. For, maybe still Philip Seymour Hoffman did get one though. And he's been in a ton of stuff. Probably like Boogie Nights, Magnolia. He's kind of just linked with um, uh, PTA. So there could be other stuff I'm forgetting there too. So I'll say maybe three more for uh, PSJ. PSH, excuse me. PSH. PSH, I'm going to call him the rest of the episode. Then Kate Blanchett. That's I what mean, I did in all my no- notes. It's just PSH. <laughs> yeah, I did that too. Kate Blanchett is probably the most acclaimed, at least winner here from the Oscars. You are correct. I, yeah, I believe she's won for The Aviator. I was trying to name off her movies, I believe, in a past episode, and I always mix her up with Michelle Williams. But I believe, oh, she won another one for that um, George Clooney movie. No, that's Tilda Swinton. <laughs> 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 um, I think Kate Blanchett's got two or three wins. So I'll say she's been nommed for probably like five or six. <laughs> um, who else did I miss? Jude Law. Is that the only one I'm missing? Yeah. I mean, we just went over his uh, filmography there. I don't think he was nommed for too much. heaters. <laughs> yeah. So I'll say total noms. We'll go. We'll go twelve total noms, and I'll say. I'll say four wins because it may be. No, I'll, uh, I'll say three. Damon has a win and a nom. He does have win. Writing Goodwill Hunting. Oh. I didn't know we were talking about writing, but Fair enough. everybody else is acting. Damon total has five nominations. Okay. Including the goodwill Good hunting. Uh, so he has two for goodwill hunting Invictus best supporting actor, mm. the Martian best actor. Yeah. And then we also have a best picture nom for Manchester by the sea because he is the producer of that film. So gotcha. uh, for him, three acting noms there. Paltrow, like we said, one for one Philip Seymour Hoffman, one win, four nominations. He did win. Awesome. What did he so, win for? The master? Uh, his win, funny enough, Truman Capote uh, for the movie Capote. Nice. He wins. And then uh, three noms, Best Supporting Actor for Charlie Wilson's War, Doubt, and The Master. Interesting. <laughs> Jude Law, 0 for 2 at the Academy Awards. Hey. Was uh, actually, noms. ready for this, Cody? Nominated for this movie for That's the awesome. Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor, Talented Mr. Ripley. Um, 1999 and then as well the academy award for best actor for cold mountain in 2003 and uh i also just feel like i had a major deja vu that we've totally talked about this before where jude law has two nominations and one of them is for this movie but <laughs> i don't recall Roll that, that clip. Right we'll see if you can find it <laughs> definitely not i'm uh, not one of the vault and then kate blanchett cody you ready yeah eight nominations two okay. wins nice best actress she's been nominated for elizabeth Elizabeth, the Golden Age, Blue Jasmine, Carol, and Tar, and then she's won for Blue Jasmine, and then for Best Supporting Actress, she was nommed for I'm Not There, Notes on a Scandal, and The Aviator, which she also won for. So, looks like we have officially four acting wins, 18 acting nominations, uh, and then another one win, two noms for Dan. I I wasn't too far off. I missed the Damon win. Which is uh, understandable, but yeah, Kate Blanchett's awesome, man. I mean, I, f- I forgot she's even in, uh, I forgot, excuse me, that she was nominated for TAR so recently. I feel like any other year mostly, other than 
obviously Michelle Yeoh and everything everywhere. Um, she might have another Oscar. So shout out Kate Blanchett, man. Also, I guess it's her and Blue Jasmine. I guess we've cleared that up. Yeah, Blue Valentine, um, Blue Jasmine. You you confuse those two. That's the problem. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Borderlands Oscar coming for Blanchett this year. Pretty. Hey, fingers crossed. I, I did uh, draft it for our uh, fantasy filmography. So hopefully she have, pops off. If you haven't listened to that, go check that out. Our uh, Another Thanks. year of, of fantasy movie drafting has occurred. We've already thrown some trades out into the mix, but uh, definitely go check out the draft because I think both of our teams are pretty exciting. Check out the 2024 Fantasy Movie League draft over at the Rough Cut Retrospective Podcast. Rough Cut underscore pod on Instagram. Rough Cut underscore co on Twitter slash X. Really fun episode. Yeah, mine's okay, but... Uh... Definitely go check out that episode if you haven't seen it. Obviously, not feeling yeah. too confident. Mine's all right. Yeah, I will see it. <laughs> um, but yeah, back to the point I was making is that this is just like a fucking fantastic cast. And when you look at yeah. those wins and nominations, other than Paltrow and Shakespeare in Love and Damon for Goodwill Hunting, like this is before all of that. And you get them like such on the upward trajectory of their career. Obviously, like we said, Jude Law gets nominated for this movie. Philip Seymour Hoffman continues to go on and do great work. Blanchett, you know, seven noms or eight noms later, right. yeah. you know. So I, I just think it's an incredible casting to have these five people brought together. I think Damon and, and Philip Seymour Hoffman are my personal two favorites of the cast. I just love the look of Damon. He lost like 30 pounds to play this role. He he just he really adapts. He he transforms himself, but also, you know, plays the everyman so well. Uh love this look that's in my background. The uh the brown dress shoes, pale ass skin, and the green bottom on the suit. If I make dinner at my place I can look at it then. Dickie Greenleaf? Who's that? It's Tom. Tom Ripley. Tom Ripley? We were at Princeton together. Okay. Did we know each other? Hello. Uh, well, I knew you, so I suppose you must have known me. Princeton's like a fog. America's like a fog. <laughs> this is Marge Sherwood. Tom, sorry, what is it? Ripley. How do you do? How do you do, March? What are you doing in Manji? Nothing. <laughs> Nothing much. Passing through. <laughs> Passing through? Yeah. <laughs> You're so white. <laughs> Do you ever see a guy so white, March? <laughs> Gray, actually. It's just an undercoat. <laughs> Say again? You know, a primer. <laughs> That's fun. Margie likes that because she's so white. Yes, I do, and you're not funny. Will you come and have lunch with us before you go? Yes, Dickie? Sure, anytime. Well, coincidence. Just some iconic stuff from, from Matt Damon. And then, of course, Philip Seymour Hoffman doing a crazy voice. It's, a, it's an, an intense choice, but I just love that, you know, he's making a choice because that's something that Philip Seymour Hoffman will always do. Um, and then I think the argument that those two characters have right before he kills him, spoiler alert, uh, rest in peace to <laughs> Philip Seymour Hoffman in this movie as well. I love that scene between the two of them where they're arguing and there's the whole, you know, is Dickie here? You know, he leaves and then comes back. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, I agree. And honestly, um, you kind of were just going over most of my good here too. So I'll pretty much just reiterate, but starting off with that Philip Seymour Hoffman scene, I completely agree too. I think him kind of just like being like, 
why do you look like Dickie? Like, I don't understand what's going on. Like, is this actually where Dickie lives? Because it doesn't look like his place. The furniture. Yeah. He's like, well, yeah. this furniture does not he's make like, sense. Does this place come furnished? It doesn't look like Dickie. It's, uh, it's really horrible, isn't it? It's so, uh, bourgeois. Oh, that's a, uh, you should watch that. Excuse, excuse me. Excuse me. You know, in fact, the only thing that looks like Dickie is you. Hardly. Hmm. Is that, have you done something to your hair? Is there something you'd like to say, Freddy? What? Do you have something you'd like to say? I think I'm saying it. Something's going on. Either it's converted to Christianity or to something else. Well, I would suggest you ask Dickie that yourself. I'll tell us it's on Della Croce just off the Corso. Is it on Della Croce just off the Corso? You're a, you're a quick study, aren't you? The last time you didn't know your ass from your elbow, and now you're giving me directions. That's not fair. You probably do know your ass from your elbow. I'll see you. This doesn't make much sense. And he's like, why are you even here? So I like like Philip Seymour often kind of being like Dickie's good buddy and, and being like, none of this really adds up. So I'm yeah. super confused, but still not really, you know, making massive accusations, just being like, oh, you, you know, you're kind of just leeching off him again. So I thought he was really good throughout. Obviously, he doesn't have a ton of screen time, but. Dude, Philip Seymour Hoffman is awesome. Like I said, RIP, obviously, gone too soon. But for a character actor, and uh, he, he's kind of one of the most underrated out there, I think, for myself. Well, we threw the not, well, yeah, we threw the noms out there. But let's just be clear, oh, yeah. clear. The number would be higher had he not unfortunately passed away. 100%. Uh, so, you know, we would be getting up probably into the, the 20s if he was still around. Uh, yeah. I love his line delivery of the, Tommy, how's the peeping? <laughs> Tommy, how's the peeping? Tommy. That's uh, a big thing. Tommy, 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 Tommy. Tommy. <laughs> it's great. I'll roll the clip. <laughs> yeah, him on the boat is is just comedic gold as well. So love, love me some Philip. Wish there was probably a little bit more of him in this. And then again, bouncing off. I mean, young Kate, Kate Blanchett. This has got to be the youngest role I think I've seen from her by far. So I thought she was good. Same thing. Like, obviously, she's not in the movie a ton. In, in her kind of introduction, I was like, I feel like that's kind of a waste of Kate Blanchett, but when they do bring her back, I thought it was kind of in an interesting way. And that kind of goes hand in hand with what I want to talk about next too, is just Matt Damon being really, really good in this movie too. I think um, also, I mean, in your picture too, I mean, he got pretty buff. I didn't know Damon had a six pack uh, on him. So well, he just like cut so much, no body yeah. fat on this guy. Fair enough, brother. He looks great, but uh, it's probably like his most like attractive role. I would say, um, mm. which is calling it now. Uh, yeah, shout out. Uh, Damon's ever looked. Talented Mr. Rip. I, it's gotta be, dude. It's, I mean, it's it, honestly, for like all three of these, Jude Law, Gwyneth Paltrow, like it might oh, yeah. be peak. Definitely for Jude Law, too. I think the uh, the dirty blonde thing is Italian son. Yeah, it's going good. But uh, hey, Damon, he does a lot. Of, he does, well, not a lot. He does a little bit of singing in this movie, too. So, you know, he's showing his chops, even though uh, one of the songs is like the whisper singing that we kind of saw in Wonka. 
So I think that's cheating a little bit. <laughs> but... but don't change a hair for me. Not if you care for me. Stay, little Valentine. Stay. Pass that to a couple of just scenes that stood out with him. Kind of when uh, him and Kate Blanchett are at the uh, the opera, and he has like that Vietnam flashback of of him killing Jude Law. I thought that was really good. Obviously, he's like acting for Kate Blanchett uh, pretty much. But I mean, Matt Damon is a talented guy, even though he's playing, you know, talented Mr. Ripley. You need somebody who kind of has those chops. And I think obviously Damon was a super good choice for that. But uh, his plan, it's interesting. My favorite part of his plan is, well, obviously, I don't know if he just killed Jude Law on a whim, which I'll talk about a little bit next to and like, how did that even kind of situation happen? But him impersonating uh dicky from the beginning i guess was a good move and then obviously like carrying that on with the whole kate blanchett thing once we get into like the third act i really enjoyed kind of those interactions with damon and kate blanchett and her being confused on who he is and kind of her use uh at the very end you know talking with gwyneth paltrow i thought that was like super smart cerebral um i guess from the character of of ripley but um his plan overall was, was a little bit wonky, but everything with Kate Blanchett I thought was executed really, really well. Yeah, I mean, I agree. And the, the Paltrow stuff, like you said, where it's the scene of her kind of on the other side of the door begging for Dickie. And like you said, just playing off her emotions of like keeping them separate just so that she still thinks he's alive. And it's like he's literally pulling all these strings with all these different characters and the whole time Jude Law's just dead. Like he's, yeah. he's drowned somewhere, which is, is fantastic. And that, that scene is really intense too of him, obviously slapping him with the oar and then, uh, you know, finishing him off. Um, and even the Philip Seymour Hoffman uh, killing scene is super intense as well. Mm -hmm. But I think like the sort of cool dichotomy of him, like going back and forth between these two characters and him trying to figure out like who he needs to be at this certain and moment. And then even at the end, he like, he's slipping up with Peter. He's like, yeah, yeah who like, I don't even thought? know. Dickie and Peter who, and then he's like, what are you talking about? What about yeah. Dickie and Tom? He's like, that would be even crazier. <laughs> yeah. So I like that a lot of, you know, Damon kind of losing the plan halfway through, but that definitely leads me into you know, some of the questionable stuff. Do you have any more good? I'm sure you got some other good you want to talk about. I, I wanted to talk about a couple of things. Something that I think is really effective is that like uh, the Jude Law character is kind of an asshole throughout. When when Damon kills him, you're like, you know, he was kind of being it. Like it gives you enough for you, like you support Damon. That's the thing. He's the villain, obviously, this movie, but he's still our lead central character. So you have to relate to him. You have to somewhat root for him. And I think when he's killing Jude Law, you're like, obviously it's not okay to kill somebody, but... I kind of get why he's doing it. And when he kills Philip Seymour Hoffman, you're like, this guy's fucking annoying. He's pissing me off. I get it. But then it's like, then it's like we're already uh, two thirds of the way through the movie and he starts acting like an asshole to Gwyneth Paltrow. And you're like, oh shit, this guy is just really just being a dick to everyone. Like there's no one safe from his wrath. He's going to play on everyone's feelings. Uh, but I think it does an effective job of making you dislike Jude Law enough. He's kind of flippant towards uh, his relationship. We see him as a cheater. Um, so I think that's effective in the the way that it keeps you on Ripley's side. I agree with that too, because definitely in the first hour, it's it's kind of Matt Damon is more of like the protagonist. I feel like from the tonality of it, at least, just because of you know Jude Law's infidelity and all that stuff. But 
I feel like the moment that that kind of flipped for me was when his mistress uh, was murdered or, or drowned or whatever. And I was going through my head. I was like, okay, did like Jude Law kill her? Because he said he uh, she was pregnant. And then it kind of turned a little bit more. I was like, nope, like it was definitely Matt Damon. So <laughs> I think at that moment for me, I was yeah, like, okay, like I, I specifically and kind of tur- turning on this guy in a sense. But um, yeah, I, I think you're right though. I think the movie does a really good job of kind of making you dislike Dickie. So it, it's not like as big of an emotional blow when he, he does die pretty pretty early on. I think the tone is super interesting. It's very like melodramatic. It's super serious. Um, it's kind of a thriller. It's a little bloody. It's very strange. Um, and then, like you said, you know, it's a slow burn in the beginning, you know, it's 40 minutes. And then that first dead body hits the, uh, the woman that's drowned, the, the pregnant mistress of Dickie. And then from there, it's like, it takes a very drastic, very dark turn into something entirely different, but it keeps the levity in, uh, moments of dramatic irony, which I love where you have stuff where it's like, uh, Peter looking at it, Matt Damon's character, uh, looking at, uh, Ripley and he's going, man, I thought uh, Dickie must have killed you and had been riding around, you know, Europe on your passport. And like, there's so many comments that are made to Ripley's character that are just like, oh my gosh, like if you only knew, if you only knew it, it keeps the lightness in those moments, which I love. Tonality, it's a, it's a great balancing act. I agree. And I, like I said too, I think the direction obviously plays a ton into that, but yeah, I may disagree with, with some of the, I feel like everybody else in this movie is, is kind of just an idiot surrounding that team a little bit. Um, I'll get into more specifics, but yeah, I feel like if people just put two and two together a little bit, uh, this movie would be a lot shorter, but the tonality is great. I, I think the there's a lot of kind of comic relief that is definitely necessary throughout. We can jump on over to the bad, Cody. What do you got for me? I might definitely have uh, a decent amount of stuff here, but I guess we can start off right where I was at. I mean, somehow he won at the end. I, let's, just, let's just fast forward all the way mm. to the end, Corbin, because I really thought he was on the ropes, and I feel like he specifically thought that he was on the ropes here too. I feel like he was kind of getting well there. More... I mean, there's a dead body on him, but like, you know, I mean, I don't know if he won necessarily. He's I mean, gotta he got get a, out of the situation. He got away with it and he got a bunch of money. I'd say he definitely won. Um, yeah, I guess. Well, that's not the very, very end, I guess before the whole he, Peter he, scene. Dickie's. Yes. Allegations talking about like the salt burn comparison. I feel like specifically like he got away with two murders here pretty clean. And, um, and he, he got, got the inheritance. He got a bunch of cash with it here. So I think he did pretty well. I feel like Kate Blanchett could have cleared this up pretty quickly. Um, if we just got her connected with either one of the police captains, or I guess the detectives, whatever they were, who were kind of, you know, doing the case when originally when Matt Damon went to the, the different island or whatever, and then him and Peter, you know, go to the police station, I was like, boom. All right. You know, this other inspector guy or whatever he was, is going to walk in and, uh, with Kate Blanchett and it's all going to be over. And then some new clown walks in <laughs> and he's just got the suicide note. And I was like, you gotta be kidding me. Like, obviously he, and he even says that like, Oh, we didn't like that. The other guy, you know, let Dickie get away. So he was taken off the case. Well, didn't he give you like all the information he had? Like, I don't understand. Like if, if he was even there in the background, just being like, uh, you know, uh, a liaison to this new captain, um, being like, oh, yeah, that's the same guy. We, we, you know, we solved the case. I feel like it would kind of be solved like that. So that kind of irks me a little bit. Of just I like... agree. I, that's on that's on my list as well. I just think there's some moments of luck where it's like you get away a little too cleanly. Um, obviously, the bad police work overall is is kind of baffling to a certain extent. But hey, 1950s, 
things were different, I guess. You know? Yeah, true. I mean, obviously, too, they don't have the resources. Like, they're saying, like, oh, do you have a picture of him? He's like, no, why the hell would I carry on a picture of my male friend? Like, there's no kind of... And obviously, he, like, scratched out his, you know, passport, too. So it would definitely be hard to track, like, more facial recognition, which I think is fair. He's in a foreign country from which he was born, you know? Yeah, exactly. I get it yeah. slightly, but there's definitely a lot of luck. I mean, like you said, at any point, if Kate Blanchett chat happens upon him at the right time or if Gwyneth, like if any of these characters which i guess you could argue that maybe it's kind of crazy that these characters keep running into each other in various italian cities but also they they always run into each other not when they're together <laughs> right i wanted to ask too because i mean um kate blanchett obviously she's at kind of the very beginning and then the very very end which i definitely want to fast forward to that too but do you think at the beginning that was coincidence i guess that because obviously she was trying to talk to Matt Damon, but was Matt Damon also trying to talk to her before that? Or do you think that's just coincidence? I think it's just coincidence that they like okay. happened upon each other. At the, yeah. And then he, at the airport. because him like him acting like Dickie is obviously super important for like the second and third act. But him, I feel like he kind of just like did that on a whim at the very beginning of the movie, which kind of just worked out and is a little convenient too. But then fast forwarding to the way end, obviously once he kind of, it seems like he got away with this in a sense. And then of course, Kate Blanchett is on this boat randomly with, with her parents again, which I was like, wait, what? Like why her are we parents are really popping up? all over. Yeah. And then I thought maybe the, the cops were going to be with her then too. And maybe he was going to get busted at that point. But then he just like, you know, makes out with her and, and I guess that that story is resolved, but I definitely have questions about kind of the very end. So I guess, why did he kill Peter or did he kill Peter? Cause obviously the last shot is like coming from the closet and maybe he just, you know, knocked him out or something. I definitely want to lean on you here. Cause I am genuinely not even sure kind of what the ending that kind of is to me. The ending is that he kills Peter. That's okay. I think what I take it as he's, I guess why crushing him and killing. I mean, he's just, he feels his world slipping away. Uh, Peter starts to kind of confront him, ask him too many questions and, this guy who's clearly a sociopath uh, decides uh, to do things. And then also <laughs> you have the thing of like, he's on a boat with Kate Blanchett. Maybe he's kind of choosing her as his path forward now. You know, he thought he was going to be with Peter. Nope. Here's another chance to uh, make my status even greater. I'm going to la latch myself to her. And if Peter's still alive and on this boat, doesn't really help, you know, kind of prevents his, you know, his case a little bit. Yeah, I guess what is he going to do with Peter's body now? I mean, I guess just dump it out in the ocean, hope no one's looking. Over the edge. He loves that. <laughs> True. But, yeah, I don't know. I just feel like he's he's going to be the prime suspect. I mean, clearly, a lot of people, I feel like, saw, you know, Peter and him, you know, together, in a sense, you know, on this trip. So, I feel like he's kind of screwed. So, I feel like that's kind of a bad move. And I don't know if I love that ending, just because I feel like it would have been better if Maybe even cut Kate Blanchett out of that too. Just be like, all right, they're sailing off on a boat and he got away with it. I kind of, I like that a little bit more than, you know, oh, he kind of lost his bananas and, and, uh, you know, preemptively maybe even killed somebody he didn't need to, which again, he's like you said, he's a sociopath. So I guess it makes sense. But, and I, I, think I love, I love the direction of that final scene too. Like, I think it's super cool. Um, obviously, throughout, we get this motif of like mirrors. You have, you know, the scene where he's freaking out and he's seeing Jude Law and all the mirrors. You see the multiple scenes of him looking at himself in the mirror. Hell, that's another fucking salt burn thing. You got Barry and punching the mirror. And, and, you know, this, this idea of image and refracted image and falling apart and being multiple people. 
um, is very apparent throughout. And that final scene is kind of, we see him in multiple mirrors kind of peering out of a closet with like a bathroom mirror and a doorway mirror. And then it kind of closes and, and goes dark, which I think is a really cool, you know, again, he's just, he's broken into a million pieces. I do like the imagery of that as well. Moving on to something else, I guess, uh, backing up way before kind of back to one of my favorite scenes, probably like we said, him killing Jude law. Um, I have some questions surrounding how they, ended up out there i think jude law was just like hey let's let's go out here and and i want to sail around because the last time i did this i sailed and i found kind of the the house we were living at before but then they sail out on this little rowboat to just like the middle of the ocean and there's nothing around and then jude law just berates Matt. yeah he's like i'm just a dick to you (laughs) he's like now's the time he's just calling him boring i'm like what do you expect jude law like you just told this kid you're kicking him out you're done with him and then you're going to take him out on a boat alone and be like, hey, you suck. You're a leech. I don't like you. You need to leave. And you're boring. I love Marge. You love me. You're not marrying me. Tom, I don't love you. No, I, I don't mean that as a threat. To be honest, I'm, I'm a little relieved you're going. I think we've seen enough of each other for a while. What? You can be a leech. You know that. And it's boring. You can be quite boring. I don't know. I feel like he's kind of asking to die in a sense, which kind of maybe makes sense for his character. But I I don't see kind of the good reasoning for for kind of that to be necessary. Yeah. I I mean, like you said, taking a guy out on the boat and then being like, I need to get away from you. You need to leave me alone. Like, what? You're trapping yourself. The funny thing is I'm not pretending to be somebody else. And you are. Boring. I've been absolutely honest with you about my feelings. Boring. But you, first of all, I know there's something. That evening when we played chess, for instance, it was obvious. What evening? Oh, sure, no, no. It's too dangerous for you to take on. Oh, no, no. Well, we're brothers. Hey. And then you do this sordid thing with Marge, fucking her on the boat while we all have to listen, which was excruciating. And you follow your cock around like a... And now you're getting married. No, I'm bewildered. Forgive me. You're, you're lying to Marge and then you're getting married to her. You're knocking up Silvana. You're ruining everybody. You, you want to play the sax. You want to play the drums. Which is it, Dickie? What do you actually play? Only one person's coming back. It's not good. <laughs> yeah, so that irked me. I do have one other thing too. But did you have anything kind of bad that you want to talk about? I mentioned the runtime. Like I said, you know, an hour and 20 minutes after Jude Law eats it especially because I think it takes a little bit of a dip and then it kind of picks up a little bit. It's just weirdly paced there. And then I think there's some writing that I don't love, just dialogue stuff that I think feels a little bit corny. And and maybe partially it's because Tom Ripley is kind of supposed to be a bit of a corny guy at points. But when he's like, I love you, write it on a piece of paper and stick it in your purse to save it for a rainy day. I'm just like, come on, give me a break. (laughs) I think he's definitely milking that up. Um, I think actually like that character moment too of like, because I, I don't know, obviously he knows that Gwyneth Paltrow pretty much knows, but he also knows that like Peter's coming over. So I guess like the cutting of his hand, obviously he knows that she's going to see that. So she's going to get more scared. But then his dialogue just being like the most cheesy bullshit of like, oh, I love you so much. Like, uh, I, I probably shouldn't say this, but I think that's definitely um kind of like 
his planners, his makeup yeah. plan for for getting caught so quickly. Not a um, great plan, bud. Yeah, I mean it worked somehow, but fair enough. <laughs> but one other thing I wanted to mention too, and I kind of said earlier, but uh, this is a very musical movie. Um, Definitely. For not kind of being obviously musical, but but this is the bad, so you're not a fan. <laughs> yeah, I'm not a massive fan. I think two jazz sequences is too many for me. Um, not like I don't mind jazz music, but. I feel like one would have been good. Like at, at the beginning, that's kind of a dumb reason for like uh, Matt Damon. His like reasoning for sticking around is, oh, he just likes jazz music. I think that's pretty dumb from the get go. But then obviously I you feel like, like that one. Oh, you're staying. We're going to this festival, man. And I then love like, jazz. And then the next day he's like, oh, yeah, here's your room. <laughs> it's, it's like, oh, I guess he just, you know, gives uh, hospitality to anybody like jazz. I guess. uh well, I think some people in do it Italy do like it, so I don't understand. But yeah, I don't know him. Him like singing and trying to memorize all this stuff. I was kind of just uninterested in a little bit. I feel like so. Yeah, too much jazz. I think. I think uh, La La Land found the perfect uh, medium there, but this movie I think goes over the top a little bit. I guess whatever, Cody. The <laughs> ugly Cody. Uh, I'll let you get started. Yeah, I mean, obviously we're dealing with the sociopath here, so I think there's some obvious stuff. But well, I don't know where to start here. Um. Okay, yeah. So for the ugly, I think the one thing that sticks out for me is kind of the way they deal with his mistress character's death. I think it's kind of just glossed over and it's obviously used as a plot point to kind of get things moving a little bit more. And obviously, in my head, at least kind of showing Damon is, you know, clearly the bad guy here. But again, like I, I can't even like tell you what her character name was. She doesn't really have any lines at all. Other than the only thing I know about her is she was kind of, you know, obviously sleeping with Jude Law. And then she's really, kind of like just... when that yeah when that moment happens you're kind of just confused at first because you're just like what who is this and then you're like oh yeah it's the woman that jude law's been with and then such, you obviously such like a little bit more bad timing i feel like too because it's in the middle of like this massive you know ce- ceremony and celebration so it kind of just like it was like such a cool moment of like oh this is just like something traditional in italy and then it just goes to them all screaming at the same time <laughs> and then it's kind of glossed over and like two scenes after that uh, i was just like kind of connecting damon and jude law of like oh we have this secret now and so i guess he can stay a little bit longer so i didn't love that i think that was kind of the big thing for me that i was like yeah you probably could have you know given her at least a little bit more to do and you know maybe add a couple scenes with her and jude law and then you know kill jude law in the middle of the movie and i think it would have been fine yeah yeah i agree i mean overall all the murder relatively bad but i think that's the worst one because again it's a character that we don't really get to know very much about uh and she just dies because of jude law's infidelity really at the end of the day so not great i mean that was the only reason they gave us (laughs) oh yeah what's your ugly um i really don't have a ton I, i tried to you know look outside the movie obviously gwyneth paltrow she's had her her goop controversies through the years you know just kind of scammy type vibes coming from that and then you know jude law he like cheated on his wife with a nanny which is never good you know the old Mm -hmm. fam nanny cheating on the wife and then matt damon you know i don't know he there was that one time he did an interview and he was like yeah i stopped using the f slur just a couple months ago (laughs) and it was like 2021 2022 you know he's a change man man. just a couple months ago damon (laughs) (laughs) took you that long Yeah. My daughter had a good conversation. I don't know, Cody. I we I just decided to Google everybody's name next to controversy and Kate Blanchett. Nothing came up. Philip Seymour Hoffman. Nothing came up. So we like those two. And uh, for some reason, that doesn't surprise me either. But yeah, Gwyneth. I think outside of uh, of movies, I think that's 
Yeah, pretty well known. But good candle maker. Is she? Does she make candles? Uh, anyway, the other thing I want to talk about too is just the creepiness of um of Ripley here. What's his fucking first name? Steven? No, Tom. There it is. Uh, the creepiness of Tom Ripley for me. I don't know. Everybody just calls him Ripley. I feel like the entire movie, other than uh, Drew. Yeah, what is this fucking Ridley Scott's alien? <laughs> but obviously, uh, like the budding bromance, like we've talked about, or the sexual undertones. I guess I think that that's okay. Like I I did enjoy some of that stuff. Um. I kind of wish they, like, I kind of wish that Matt Damon made like a bigger move in a sense. Um, but obviously, like playing chess in the tub together, and then that one scene of him like staring at his ass, I thought was kind of weird. And then obviously the the second scene that you mentioned to them on the boat uh, while they're having sex, and Matt Damon is just staring at them the entire time. Matt Damon is a sexual harasser, is what you're trying. Oh, to Oh, he's he's and being a real he, creeper in this movie. I don't know what he's doing. I mean, he's a peeping down. He is obviously uh, PSH calls him out, but. I mean, dude, I don't, I don't know what's going on. I feel let's like be, let's also be very clear. The Jude Law, that scene is also very much in his catalog of him being a dick. He's doing that for show. He's trying to make a, hey, I'm going to leave you two assholes up here to deal with each other. And I'm going to go fuck my, you know, soon oh, yeah. wife underneath the boat and make sure you probably can hear us moaning when we do it. So, <laughs> yes, Damon being a bit of a, a creeper, but, you know, Jude Law being a jerk there as well. Yeah, I guess that's fair. They're both really ugly. Um, and then the last thing I want to talk about here too, it must just be like a, an Italian American thing, or maybe just a thing in like the fifties or sixties, whenever this movie set. But they call a refrigerator um, an ice box, um, and that really irked me. I don't know why, but I think it's just because it was the fifties and in Italy, yeah. and you know, <laughs> that's stupid. What is an ice box? That that's not an ice box. But also, they didn't have a fridge before Matt Damon showed up, like. I thought they were rich, like Diggy's rich. What's going on? But yeah, an ice box, box, dude. Ice box is out. I never would hear that word again. But... No ice box in 2024. Yeah, I think first. I think it's dead. People rip, rip the, the ice the boxes. 50s. Let's take a quick commercial break and we'll be right back. Thanks for listening to the episode. You can follow the rest of our happenings over here at Cody and Corbin have a podcast on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Cat Podcasts, K-H-A-P-O-D-C-A-S-T. Please follow us on Spotify, give us a rating, subscribe to our YouTube channel, and follow along for more. And we're back with Invite Fight Night. Totally invite your personal friend, Spider-Man. I want to fight you. Hans. Bobby. I'm your white knight. Cody, we're going to start with who do we want to invite on the podcast? We haven't talked about this guy uh, much, and I want to invite none other than Herbert Greenleaf, the father of Dickie, admittedly for some nefarious reasons. I feel like we could get this guy talking, and inevitably he would probably just throw us a few bucks because... I mean, he just... He fucking gives gives Matt Damon his son's inheritance just because he hired him for a job that he failed to do. <laughs> like, I don't, yeah. I don't know. I think this guy is just, uh, he's got money flying out of his pockets. He also, gave, he also gave him a thousand dollars at the beginning of the movie. And he In doesn't even know That's a lot of money. Yeah. So I'm on board. We, we could definitely use a little bit of sponsorship and he, he would definitely be able to chip in. I think he'd enjoy our banter and, and uh, be on board pretty quickly. Cap so. brought to you by Greenleaf. <laughs> yeah. Uh, hey, got a good ring to it. <laughs> Um, i'm gonna uh invite gwyneth paltrow on the pod her character too specifically whatever Mm. her name is but marge marge that's terrible name um but yeah she kind of seems like 
I guess, like the smartest character in a sense, just because she kind of figured out, you know, uh, you know, Thomas. She sees through it. She sees through it. She's kind of the most investigative too. She was, you know, snooping around looking in his stuff. So I think she'd be a good one to have on. Um, possibly she's like the most likable character in the movie as well. Maybe even the most likable character that Gwyneth Paltrow's ever uh, portrayed. Obviously, you haven't seen the some of her uh, late '90s stuff, which is evidently you know pretty iconic. But I think uh, out of all of her roles, this is probably one of my favorites. Even though I don't think she was really great in the first hour, I think where she really shined was in like the last hour. Um, but yeah, bring her on. She, she definitely have kind of some more details. I feel like to make me understand at least the characters a little better. I definitely agree with your assessment. I think the second hour is is hers. Fight. I mean, I'll go with the obvious, and he, he kind of gets a little bit. But Dicky. I mean, he's kind of just a jerk throughout the movie. So uh, I'll give you him really a dislike him. around. He's not the <laughs> yeah. best. He's a rich asshole, Cody. <laughs> the first time you watched this when uh matt damon stuck him with the oar you probably started cheering so. <laughs> what's well, the other thing it's like he is a better version of trying to portray like the the class divide and the you know the power dynamics there whereas like in a movie not to go back too much like in saltburn where it's like jacob Elordi's character you like that guy like you're not really he's kind of like the best one of them all and he kind of gets the worst of it yes he's obviously playing with the feelings of the people around him but he's not really He's not an asshole like Jude Law is. Jude Law's pompous. He's a prick. Yeah, I agree. I think he just plays up like that entitledness a lot too, which is definitely annoying. Um, my pick here, I'm gonna go with uh, those two uh, police inspectors I was mentioning earlier. Like, come on, just just cross examine each other a little <laughs> bit on uh, you know what what these guys look like, and we're gonna solve a lot. Um, are there like no sketch artists uh, in the '50s? I guess maybe not. So. They were gonna do a lineup, and then that doesn't right. obviously happen and... and that would have nailed him so that, that's exactly when damon left as well so i guess the first guy was kind of onto it he was kind of just like slow playing and trying not to give away that maybe he knew a little bit more than he could um and then the second guy just came and ruined it all so they, they both just deserve a, a good punch in the face i think to straighten him out agreed knight cody i'm gonna knight uh peter we haven't talked about him a ton either yeah. but He's uh he's just there the whole time with a smile on his face. He's Marge's friend first, and then obviously kind of you know falls for for Tom Ripley, and then uh, dies unfortunately at his hands for no reason. No. So I think guy. he's deserving of the night. Yeah, I agree. I think um look again, he's probably one of the the, the better just people in the movie too. Kind of just a good guy all around. So that's the thing. There's not. A, I was gonna say like there's not. It's hard to pick a person tonight in this film. It's a lot of yeah foul characters i agree and along with that my night not the best uh guy really but i'm gonna go with freddie uh philip seymour hoffman's character <laughs> um we don't know a ton about him there's a lot of rumors about him that are definitely not good but he kind of did figure it out first obviously um i guess that landlord lady pretty much like unknowingly killed him um which is kind of tough he obviously like never really liked uh ripley from the beginning either so he kind of had the vibe check uh, from the beginning and you know, it's Philip Seymour Hoffman and he gets taken out by a statue. So got to knight him just for, for going through that stunt work and uh, getting stuck in the head with that thing. So shout out to him. RIP. The one thing you can say is that he was right about Tom. So I'll give you that. <laughs> Facts. I'll take it. <laughs> the recast Cody. Bond. James Bond. My name's Bond. James Bond. The name's Bond. James Bond. The name's Bond. James Bond. I kind of just went through the the main five, and I, I've got somebody for everybody. Oh wow. Okay. 
I have a couple. You, you can get off with a couple though. All right. So uh, Gwyneth Paltrow is going to get replaced with Kate Winslet. I don't know what the timing in on this is. Just get the ages right and we'll, yeah. we'll make it work. Kate Blanchett is going to be replaced with Reese Witherspoon. Oh, gross. Why are you taking Kate Blanchett out? Matt Damon <laughs> will be replaced with Michael Fassbender. Okay. I'm on Col- board. Uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman will be replaced by Colin Farrell. No, you Law will be replaced by Tom Hiddleston. Okay, nice. And Peter will be replaced by Matt Bomer. Oh, great pick! <laughs> Shout out the nice guys in white collar. Matt, Matt Bomer is crazy underrated. I like most of those. I don't think at all you need to replace uh, PSH or Kate Blanchett. I think yeah, they just, are, you know, pretty amazing. But yeah, I, I, like, I like most of those. Um, I went after a couple of similar ones. I did want to uh, replace Gwyneth. Like I said, she's kind of just mid until the end. But I was thinking in Nicole Kidman. I mean, she worked with the director, obviously, a few years later. And I like that. I mean, she's a lot better actress than than Gwyneth, obviously. Um, I was thinking maybe to like a younger Viola Davis. I was trying to think of like the first role that I've seen Viola Davis in. I don't know if she's working this young, but hey, make this like her introducing role, maybe. Um, but obviously, she she'd be really good in anything, really. So I'd love to see her. And then I was thinking to get rid of Peter, too kind of just like a forgettable um actor in a forgettable role the actor i didn't write his name down but he was in the first kingsman movie i think he was Eggsy's dad who gets killed at the very beginning so he's in it for like five minutes but i mean that's one of my favorite movies so shout out that guy jack davenport Um, is yeah mr davenport yeah correct yeah He's in pirates movies, of course. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's he's in a bunch of small small roles and stuff. I feel like, but I wanted to replace him uh, with Heath Ledger. Um, obviously, a little broke back mountain vibes, but you know, in, instead you throw in Matt Damon instead of Jake Gyllenhaal. I think that'd be cool. Um, and yeah, Heath's awesome. I think, especially for this time period, it kind of would have fit pretty perfectly as well. Heath Ledger, I really do like that pick. I think that'd yeah. be uh, he can bring some charisma. He's just, I mean, a nice guy on the side. Obviously, oh, yeah. a joke, nice guy, but in most roles, <laughs> not great. Yeah. Like him, he's awesome. Yeah. The rating, Cody. Do you like me? Out of sixty-nine, what do you want to give this movie? Okay, so I think honestly, we we may be in the similar spectrum here. I'm not sure. Obviously, our rating system are different, but I was thinking, and I didn't even check around to see what what uh, this would be surrounding it, but I was thinking like a fifty-three out of sixty-nine. I think maybe that's bumping it up towards more of like that three and a half star range. It's kind of like right in that middle middle ground for me, but I did enjoy this movie. This would be one that I, I probably would rewatch, but definitely obviously just some like plot issues and, and some character stuff that I don't love. So, and obviously a little bit too long too, but kind of in the middle range. I, I didn't dislike this movie, but I didn't like love it or anything either. Some other 53s for you, Cody, and I know you're not going to like this at all. Uh-huh. Grownups avatar john wick <laughs> okay i think that's fair i think john wick is like my standard like middle middle tier movie like i don't love it but i don't hate it but yeah grown-ups i mean that's a great great flick obviously and avatar the first one maybe that's a little bit high for that might have to bump that down but i, I like the other two surrounding it for me um you were right on the head 52 so uh we're in nice. a similar area uh interstellar is my only other 52 so there you Nice. I actually had it 52 in my notes originally, and I just changed it 53. So we missed out there. But yeah, I think that's fair. It's okay. It's good. We can't just have the exact same opinion on this podcast, Cody. I know. It would be bad. <laughs> well, the thing is, it is a very different opinion because our, our rating systems are so different. But yeah, we'll it kind of it, it aligned because 
you like this movie a little bit more than me, I think. So our ratings are going to be, you know, more similar. You might also like. Who knows? You might like it. It's a killer rush. Some recommendations. If you're a fan of the talented Mr. Ripley, I'll throw up two Damon performances. One where he is, I guess, truly the villain of the movie, The Departed. It's an obvious one. Not yeah. really similar movies at all. But if you want to see Damon go dark in a world where he's often very positive, that's a good one. And then The Informant, where it's like he's the lead of the movie, but he's not necessarily a hero. He's kind of got a messed up, twisted past. So there's there's an interesting idea there. I have a couple more, but I'll, I'll throw over to you. What, what are some suggestions? Yeah. I didn't even think about the informant too. That was a good one. It's kind of a sim- similar character archetype, I guess, a little bit. Not really, but kind of. My couple, I guess along with that too, like a similar Damon performance that I thought of immediately, Ocean's Eleven. I mean, mm-hmm. he's kind of like the specific Linus. con man. Yeah, he's, he's kind of a very similar con man-esque character in that. Honestly, that could be a sequel to this film. And um, like you could retcot that and I feel like I would believe it. I had a couple other just like sort of con man movies. The first one definitely is uh, Catch Me If You Can. I think that's probably the best con man movie of all time. So if you like this movie a lot, you're probably going to love that movie even more. So I'd recommend that highly, obviously. I know Corbino. I believe that's uh, your favorite movie of all time, right? It's a pretty oh, good yeah. one. Great yeah. episode of this podcast, that's for sure. Yeah, true. Check that out, too. And then uh, a uh, underrated con man movie, which it's not it's not even really a con man movie, but White Men Can't Jump. Uh, obviously, the original, not talking about that Jack, Jack Harlow, Harlow. bullcrap uh, reboot. The OG with uh, my boy Wesley Snipes and Woody Harrelson. It's not like the traditional Conman movie that you would think of, but it's kind of like Woody Harrelson, you know, being that exact character in a sense, being like, oh, uh, you know, I'm not very good. And then, oh, let's play for money and I'm going to whoop you up. So I, I think that movie's all right. And for Conman's, uh, I think that's an underrated pick. Yeah. I thought you were going to throw out Focus, Cody. Great. No, nah, I, do, I, I don't like it. <laughs> 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 Shout out Connor Van Overberg. He loves Focus. I think it's just because Margot Robbie's in it, but yeah, <laughs> can't blame her for that. Yeah. yeah, Gone Girl is like in a certain sort of way, kind of a con grand movie. Yeah, uh, con girl movie. Con girl. Side effects is also a similar thing. It's kind of a con man. It's also a bit of a sexy thriller, uh, con man thing, con woman thing again. And then American Psycho is a central character. Seems pretty similar to Tom Ripley in ways. It's obviously a lot more extreme, but uh, give Ripley a few more years, and and who knows, he might be baiting it up. Um, then <laughs> also like we just did it, but the killer kind of reminds me in a lot of ways of this film as well, and the the lead character. Yeah, I guess that's fair. Those are all good recs, I think. The final question, Cody. All right, listen, I got one last question for you. What's your final question? I kind of have two, but they're both they're both more fun. I'll start off kind of just basic, but. I know you're a big Matt Damon fan, obviously. What to you do you think is his best performance? Because I think he is really good in this, but obviously he's been so much. Like you said, he's an Oscar winner, multiple noms. What would we've you cover? Kind of many, many a Damon movie. Uh, yeah. I think we've even litigated this very conversation uh, on the podcast. Of course, Oppenheimer we've done, The Interstellar we've done, The Martian we've done, The Departed we've done, Goodwill Hunting we've done, Goodwill Hunting. Shout we've out, done. Junior. So there's a ton. I think The Departed is up there. If I go Mount Rushmore, I'll hit mm-hmm. you with that. The go Departed. Mm, you know, I've never seen Saving Private Ryan. I'm going to oh, be wow. that guy. I'm going to be honest. Uh, but Goodwill Hunting is he's on there. He's not in it a ton. For sure. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's he's saved. <laughs> he is, yeah. <laughs> At the end. Goodwill Hunting, definitely on there. 
I would go still still water on the floor. Oh my brutal. <laughs> I'm throwing it on there and then I'll go the Martian as the four. <laughs> I like that. you lost me in still water, but yeah, the other thing. It's a good I, movie, Cody. I, you haven't seen it. I believe it's on like freebie now. Um check so it out. Might have to put it on the list, but what's your final question? I do have another small one that's kind of just really dumb, but throw me Mine in. is also pretty, pretty dumb and small. Okay. Um, roll credits. Uh, at the beginning of this movie, when we see the talented Mr. Ripley, it rips yeah. through all these other adjectives. So Cody, the blank Mr. Webb, are you the mysterious, yearning, secretive, sad, lonely, troubled, <laughs> confused, loving, musical, gifted, intelligent, beautiful, tender, sensitive, haunted, or passionate mr webb wow I'll, uh, I'll drop those over in the chat for you uh <laughs> take a good look a lot of great choices i think the one stood out to me for sure was <laughs> one of the first ones yearning i think that's a, that's a great the one yearning mr Webb. yeah kind of just yearning for for you know movie knowledge all of the above um let me see what else sticks out i wouldn't say like intelligent or or gifted i wouldn't Tender. you know uh, hype myself up too much i think passionate's a good one too i think i'm I'm definitely passionate about a few select things so maybe like yearning and passionate would be the two that that i would describe myself as what about you troubled he's, <laughs> he's a troubled that's up there too <laughs> haunted you know confused. i'm confused i am confused a lot as well i i'd take i'd take secretive i want to be a little mysterious mysterious and secretive i was gonna say mysterious i feel like it'd be a good one too but yeah. Not a not a terrible bad one to choose. I feel like lonely and sad are like the only ones I probably wouldn't choose. Yeah. Uh, I'm definitely not musical, but I'd like to be. <laughs> we can make it happen. <laughs> I could see you being a in a band or something, actually. Speaking of musical, coming up soon. Musical draft. Tune in, yeah. folks. Get when ready. When is that going? I gotta watch the You better get your ass on it. I hey, I watched <laughs> Moulin Rouge two days ago, Cody. So it I have seen that. Has begun. Shout out Ewan. Uh, my What's other your other question. Yeah, my other question. I want to mention so of course with this movie my mind always goes back to survivor here mm. and i mean dude ripley i think he'd be a pretty good player obviously he's a pretty good actor mm. so my question is if you were playing survivor and ripley just happened to be one of the other castaways on the island um would you play with him or would you target him early obviously like i said i mean he's gonna be a really good player um he, he covered up murder multiple times um and lied through his teeth but What's kind of your thought process? Would you would you play with him or take him out? Get him on your side. Use his voice mimicking skills to plant <laughs> some seeds of deceit. Sneak up behind people, pretend to be other players, talk shit, talk about idols. I think that's the move. Definitely befriend him because he will play hard. And if he's not on your team, then uh, you're getting an order to the face. <laughs> True. Yeah, I, I think early on you definitely want to play with him. I think you got to take him out before he takes you out and. That might be an issue because he's pretty good at taking out people. I don't but... want to see this guy in the jury. That's for sure. <laughs> I don't want to. Well, I would be pissed if he was on the cast to begin with, but I feel like you do have to play with him for a little bit. But he would probably take us out before we would take him out. Honestly, he's yeah. too smart. Yeah. The movie mini draft, Cody. Well, it is draft day. We're doing movies set in Italy. This is a tough one. Not a it lot says... of great picks, but I think we uh, we did some research and we might have uh, some sleepers. You have the first pick. I believe so. Yeah, and for me here, um, like you said, this is more of a deeper cut list, I feel like. So for me, I'm going to take maybe the most Italy movie here. Probably not, but it's like set the most in Italy, and that's Call Me By Your Name. 
Um, I think it does also like do a good job of like showing Italian culture and how different it is from like American culture. Just like the conversations between Timmy and his dad who, um, Oh, what the, what's that actor's name? Um, Stoonbowl or Stoongrill, whatever his name is. Michael Stolberg. Stolberg. Yeah, there it is. Uh, he plays his dad. I think that's my favorite role of his just because of their like conversations about kind of growing up and, you know, uh, they talk about like, like sex kind of super straightforward, which I, I think is cool. But yeah, obviously like Army Hammer, some issues there, but I think it's a good movie overall. And when, when I think of like movies set in Italy, that's definitely the first thing that kind of pops in my head. So I'll take that first. Very solid pick for sure. I am going to go, I'm not sure what you're thinking, but I'm going to snatch up, first of all, John Wick 2, which okay. uh, not entirely set in the country of Italy, but of course their whole, you know, like, the bad guys are. world or whatever you know it's this one's the italians the first yeah. one's the russians <laughs> um he has to travel there and, and do some you know kung fu shit so i like that and then i'm gonna also grab uh i know you're not gonna pick this cody because you haven't seen it but i'll take the godfather you know one of the greats yeah. pretty popular film set you know some in, in italy i might say <laughs> Good pick. Uh, like I said, I didn't want to put that on my list because I haven't seen it, but I feel like that's the obvious, obvious choice. Um, John Wick 2, I, I thought about, but it wasn't even on my short list. Uh, I don't really like John Wick 2, if I'm being honest. I think the Italians are like the worst villains um, of the whole franchise. So I'm not too mad about either of those picks. I think for my next one, oh, it's tough. Um, I'm going to go with uh, Rush, which is, of course, a Chris Hemsworth and um Daniel know, yeah then you're brutal the, the german uh it's obviously a f1 vehicle or whatever racing vehicle but um i think it's a really underrated picture i have talked about it before but there are like i believe some small scenes in italy when because ferrari is in the movie too uh it's kind of you know them versus ferrari in a sense but i think it's a really great movie and uh yeah, like we're saying, deeper cuts here. The whole thing is obviously not set in Italy, but I still really like it, so I'm going to take it. Do I have another pick, too, or, or is it back to you? Uh, you got one more pick, your final pick. I don't know. I think we do the snake round. I think we should just go back and forth, but <laughs> whatever. My last pick, man, there's a lot of stuff to pick from. I think I'm going to like stick really Italian. Actually, you know what? Can I drop rush? Is that allowed? Sure. <laughs> i'm gonna go full italian my second pick i'm gonna take luca um, ah. just because like obviously they have so much love for pasta and that kind of does show off like the italian countryside pretty cool as well so i'll take that too and then my last one i'll take the reboot of the italian job um mm-hmm. just a classic heist film obviously the reboot with you know marky mark and statham kind of just like cheesy dumb fun but uh, it's kind of got like fast five vibes for fast five so i'll take that I, I think that's you know a really traditional italian trio right there well call me by your name the italian job luca solid 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 um some ideas that i was thinking far from home house of gucci gladiator of course yeah. you, you know ancient italy um, on my list yeah. and then um I, would, I was gonna throw this at you cody attack the clones you know filmed in italy <laughs> True, the uh, <laughs> he confesses his plans the, the to, to do some genocide that's in it, yeah. Um, but no, I think primarily I'm gonna go for Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio, which is, mm. is definitely a very Italian movie and, and lives and breathes in the you know the port, the uh, World War II Italy. And I think it's a, it's a cool one to grab. That's a good one. I forgot about that one as well, but 
yeah, like historically speaking too, that is kind of just an interesting, you know, retrospective in that time. So I like that pick a lot. The weekly watches, Cody. What have we been into? Karen, honey, uh, what are you watching? What are you watching? What do you want to recommend? What's up? Yeah, it's been a little bit. Um, is this our first episode since uh, the new year? I think it might be. We recorded it on like the second. Yeah, uh, well, whatever. Second. It's been a decent amount of time. I've been um, a little bit busy, so I haven't seen a ton. Uh, we do have an upcoming episode talking about 2023 in review. So I've been trying to cover a couple of the big ones I've just missed in theaters over the years. We're catching up. It's coming. Yeah, we need a little bit of time here. There's a lot of stuff that like released in December that um, all came out within like two weeks. But I checked out The Holdovers, which came to Peacock, and I really enjoyed it. I'm definitely going to talk about it a little bit in my uh, end of year, I believe. But obviously, that the main three cast, that trio is just undefeated in those performances and it's kind of just like a feel-good christmas movie which uh you know we do have some of those but yeah add this to the list of, of a really good one so i enjoyed that a lot also i think maybe the best performance is uh the kid in that i think it's a uh, sessa something sessa dominic sessa yeah dom i think he's amazing that was his introduce introducing role so shout out to that kid i think he's he's got a big uh, career ahead of him um but other than that I did double feature the other day. I checked out Past Lives. Um, I just rented it on Amazon. I thought it was really good. I mean, uh, it's obviously kind of a super small, uh, you know, story and scale and scope, but it has like really deep, like, you know, emotional ties and kind of theme like that. So uh, the way it was shot too, I think was unbelievably beautiful. So might have to check out some of the more director's work, but also, just like the inclusion of obviously, you know, the Korean culture, I thought was really, really cool. Kind of showing like how different even like uh, these people started out in the same place, but just because you know she moved to America from a young age, like just their idealistics and and sort of their beliefs and even the way they act, it it really does kind of just is shaped by your culture a lot. So I thought that was really cool. It just kind of breakdown of that, and obviously it gets like really, really emotional and stuff at the end. So acting and, and directing wise, I think that was definitely one of the best of the year. Celine Song's um, directorial debut for that movie. Was that her directorial? Oh, wow. Okay. Well, that's, uh, that goes to, yeah, one of the more impressive ones recently, obviously, but I did not know that. I figured she had been working for a, a decent amount of time. So, and then a little fun cool. fact for you, her husband mm-hmm. is the writer of the movie challengers. So think about that, Cody. Nice. I'm, I'm kind of excited for that. I mean, mm-hmm. Zendaya in a tennis movie, uh, three ways can't go wrong. Yeah, consider um, the plots of the two movies. <laughs> I don't. I didn't see any three ways in past lives, so I could be wrong. <laughs> Maybe that was a deleted scene. Honestly, um, then the the double feature I did it with was Poor Things. I went and saw that in theaters. I I actually really really loved Last. it. I, yeah, I don't think it's my my favorite Yorgos. I think the favorite maybe is a little bit on a higher peg for me. But uh, yeah, this movie's amazing, man. Like, it really is just like art on film um and it was so like practically made as well which i was shocked uh to kind of go and look at more of the details of kind of the backgrounds and stuff but yeah practical sets acting again off the chain emma stone i think she may have another oscar lined up for her here um i think personally I, I do enjoy this performance a little bit better than um you know what she won the answer for in la la land so it, it'll be tough, but I think she's amazing. I think obviously. it's Lily Gladstones. I'll, I'll just say that. Now. I think it's Lily Gladstones. Yeah, I think they're they're definitely both deserving. It's it, it's a toss up, but yeah, both great. Obviously, um, other than that, I love Willem Dafoe. Dude, Willem Dafoe is so freaking good in this movie. 
just put Willem Dafoe in every single movie and I'm going to be happy because he just absolutely kills it and everything. I, I think it's a little bit too long, though. I think Yorgos does that a little bit as well, or maybe you definitely could have shaved off like a half hour or so. I guess I can go into more details um, later on, but maybe like too many sex scenes. It's kind of just like maybe Yorgos just like seeing Emma Stone naked at this point because um, she's naked in, in the favorite, too. And maybe it's a little overblown here, but. I understand. I will say it. Emma Stone was like very involved in the the creative process oh, yeah. of this film, and like a hundred percent, she was obviously uh, she was on board with everything. But it, was just, it was like I think at some point maybe it was, it was a little bit too much for me, but I think that's the only gripe I have. I think it's four and a half stars pretty easily for me. Definitely one of my favorites of the year, no doubt. Movie wise, that was it for me. Other than that, I have been uh, rewatching The Bear. I just finished season two actually yesterday. Just phenomenal show, man. I, I could watch that thing over and over and over. Season two genuinely may be one of my favorite seasons of television of all time. Um, very good. Yeah. It's just, it's amazing. Like season one is good, but I think season two, it really just obviously gives each specific character in the show an entire episode to shine. The Richie episode for me, that's gotta be one of my favorites uh, in television history. And obviously the psychotic family Christmas episode just from an acting standpoint is super, super impressive. So love that show. I can't recommend that highly enough. Um, I'll definitely be talking about that in, in our year end as, as well. And lastly, uh, man, there's been a lot of college basketball been going on, bro. Trying to keep up with all of it. Um, just chaos throughout. I have started doing um, the web index again. So if you guys are interested Back. in this, me breaking down some college basketball, uh, I think I'm going to try and do it on a weekly or bi-weekly, just try and keep my uh, ranking updated because even today and yesterday, I mean, obviously Purdue fell, Houston fell, Tennessee fell tonight already. So a lot of top-ranked teams going down and a lot of madness on the bubble. So if you're interested in that, obviously feel free to uh, give that a read. But that's all I got to get my uh, – I got to get start getting my bracket ready, man. I got to – I'll be reading the web, web <laughs> we're index. We're still going <laughs> to – Still got a couple months to go, but I'm pumped, man. It's it's my favorite time of the year sports-wise. But I'll throw it over to you, man. I'm sure you got a few wrecks. Yeah, I wanted to – I know you haven't seen it yet, Cody, but uh, I went and saw Aquaman in the Lost Kingdom. Yeah. I just wanted to take a moment to talk about the end of the DCEU, Cody. Sad, bro. Come and gone. <laughs> we'll have a year of uh, no movies with DC characters, and then in, in 2025 we'll get James Gunn back with Superman and New Legacy. But – I got to tell you, man, the note that they ended things on with this Aquaman movie is is so bad. I fucking really? hate this. I despise it. I should be seeing it here in the next few days. <laughs> I'll let you know. But yeah, just sad end to a sad universe, I think, really. Uh, yeah, I, I won't say too much now. Um, we can talk about it the next time uh, <laughs> when we good. do our uh, 2023 interview. I'm sure it'll come up. But yeah, um, with as much that's great about the first Aquaman. It's sad that this one falls so short. I think James Wan is an incredibly competent filmmaker. We've talked about him many times on this podcast and, you know, he shines in a few moments, but a lot of this is just feels like, you know, very lazy uh, thrown together. We got to put this movie out filmmaking and it's sad to see. Yeah. I also watched um, the book of Clarence. Uh, this new Lakeith Stanfield kind of uh, Bible epic story. Really cool production design, really fantastic costuming. I think Lakeith Stanfield's pretty solid in it. I'm a guy who's probably going to go see anything he's in. I'm just a really big fan of his work. I will say Benedict Cumberbatch has 
a very small role in the movie that is very nice. fun. Again, not I don't want to spoil anything, but it's like the perfect appearance of of Cumberbatch in in this type of role. Um, I also saw Strays again doing my 2023 catch up. Uh, all my 2023 movies I did catch up on uh, Aquaman, Strays, and then of course uh, Foe as well. Just all bad movies. I, I don't know. Maybe I need to watch some good ones here, um, but strays just really wasn't that funny kind of some weird uh gross like dog boner jokes and you know i don't know not my thing (laughs) uh josh gad as a dog was probably the highlight of the movie though i'll throw that out there and then uh which if you're ever saying that like if you have to say that (laughs) sentence about a movie that's when you know it's bad i'll move on uh foe sir sharon and paul mescal doing like a black mirror episode it's a little overlong. It's tr- trying to do like three twist endings that don't all really land. And they're both doing American accents. Paul Mescal's especially is really bad. Sersha, she can do it. We've seen it. But like when you're kind of like dealing with whatever the fuck Paul Mescal was doing, it struggles a little bit. So I'm a little confused on, on those fronts. Kind of a miss from, from two actors that I like a lot. Have you seen Fury, Cody? The, oh, yeah. The David, movie? David Ayers. Shia. David Ayers. T- fucking fury uh sad movie uh yeah. everybody dies except for percy jackson and uh yeah that's all i have to say about that movie logan Lerman, so to say. yeah there's it's <laughs> insane because the battles uh are like late laser lightsaber not lightsaber like star wars laser shooting on the battlefield it looks so yeah, stupid that's weird not a great movie uh death on the nile gal gadot <laughs> river on the nile. army hammer <laughs> what more do we need to say um i went and saw the lord of the rings the fellowship of the ring the extended edition Ooh, three hours and 30 minutes i think Four three hours, hours and 26 yeah. minutes uh hours, yeah. went and saw that at the alamo draft house because i don't think i had really sat down and watched the lord of the rings movie in probably a decade and I've always said I'm not a huge fan of them. I don't really love fantasy stuff. I know we've talked about Game of Thrones. Um, so I was like, I'm going to give it a shot, you know, and it's very well made. I enjoyed it. I, I won't say I don't like it, but it's it's just like not something that really resonates with me. It's not the type of uh, fiction and the type of story that I love. Um, but, you know, friendship, it's great. Shout out to it. And then uh, last couple things. I mentioned Moulin Rouge. We are getting ready for the musical draft, Cody. Uh, I got some categories prepped. I'll send them over to you oh, and you better no. get to work because uh, we're weeks away. Oh, and, man. Uh, Moulin Rouge, I hated. I really didn't like it, so you won't have to worry about me picking it in the draft. <laughs> All right, I'll take that first. <laughs> Come on, man. Ewan and Nicole Kidman? Come on, man. The jukebox musicals are not really my thing i think it was when they started singing uh smells like teen spirit that it really lost me yeah that's fair that's right <laughs> thank you guys for listening to this one and uh we'll catch you in the next episode uh potentially 2023 reviewed who knows <laughs> <laughs> stay tuned stay cabin ice ice what you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things i have ever heard at no point In your rambling, incoherent response, were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought? Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it.